All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I'm your host, James Williams, and I'm joined today by Richie Bradshaw, host of the Locked On Sun Devils podcast. We're going to do something kind of different today. We're going to do a little bit of an experiment. We're going to do Pac-12 report cards. We're going to go over basically every Pac-12 team, a brief overview over each team's season. How did they do compared to their preseason expectations? How did they do compared to their expectations of a program as a whole? Did coaches get fired? And we're going to kind of go over. I have a bunch of categories lined up. We're going to go over. We're going to give a grade, a letter grade based on how they did. A few things to start out. A lot of these rules, a lot of these things that we are going to be implementing here, a lot of it's very abstract. We aren't doing, at least I didn't do it in my research. We're not going to be doing like offensive line, pro football focus grades. It's just going to be overall, how did your team do in the win-loss column? Some statistical stuff, if it applies. And do you have your guys a head coach? Where are you at a state of your program? Are you Is the state of your program uh, a 10 where you're just, everything's on fire? Is your coach entering the hot seat? Is your Did you, as a program, find your guy? This is going to be kind of an experiment. Not really sure how it's going to go, but Richie's here. Um, and Richie, why don't we just start with USC? I'm going to go over some of my notes here. USC this year was supposed to be, even though with first-year head coach Lincoln Riley, a lot of roster turnover, preseason over-under win total, nine and a half. They went over. Got 11 regular season wins. They view themselves as a top-tier Pac-12 program, should be regularly competing for national titles. I think they found their guy. What do you think of the Oklahoma – oh, my God, Oklahoma, USC football season with Lincoln Riley in year one? I thought it was pretty successful for them. I was personally someone who thought that it was going to take a little bit for them to get on the right track. I was not convinced that USC was going to instantly go – in year one from a rebuilding program to a playoff contending program. But that's exactly what they did with Lincoln Riley. And part of that is because they were able to bring in so many good pieces. They brought in some guys on defense. They brought in the Heisman winner, Caleb Williams. They brought in the reigning Bolitnikoff award winner, Jordan Addison. They brought in some running backs like Travis Dye. They were able to pull pull in a lot of talent and be able to establish a a firm winning season and went in year one that is going to be a huge building block for them moving forward. The recruiting is only going to get better. But like I said, I, I was not convinced that this was a, a one year rebuild for them. I thought that this would be kind of a seven to eight year season or eight win season. And then they would be able to move forward, but they got to the PAC 12 championship game in their first year with Lincoln Riley. Now, unfortunately they weren't able to get to the playoff, but there's little reason to believe that they won't be able to get back to that point moving forward. Caleb Williams as a sophomore winning the Heisman trophy is only going to get better more than likely. So you have to be happy with the way things went for USC this year. The, the hot seat is gotta be as cool as a cucumber for Lincoln Riley. And if you're going from your scale of one to 10 with 10 being set everything on fire, they are a firm one, maybe even a zero. That's what I have too. I gave them an A based off of this season. 
part of the preseason expectation with them and a thing that I thought when they originally hired Lincoln Riley was what is this going to be? And I didn't necessarily think they were going to turn this program around and bring it back to the glory days of like Pete Carroll, where they're basically the powerhouse of the West. I thought it's probably just going to be like Oklahoma West. And that's basically what this team was. They had one of the best offenses in the country. That was incredibly exciting. Uh, NFL receivers everywhere. Good offensive linemen. I was looking at the all American list today in other uh, transfer quarterback under Lincoln Riley to win a Heisman trophy. Add that to his collection of Heisman trophies as a head coach. Yeah. Three of them were, now. They were either a two point conversion or a Caleb Williams injury away from making their uh, first ever college football playoff under Lincoln Riley. Things they did well. They utilized the transfer portal, added a lot of talent immediately if you have that kind of success, you're going to be having a lot of 10 plus win seasons in the Pac 12 more regularly now. What do you think if there was something that they could improve on this team, if they had any uh, weaknesses to this team? What, what do you think that would have been just following them over the course of the season? I feel like the defense could have been better. They definitely had some like really good statistical outputs from certain guys like uh, uh, Thule. And I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to butcher it. Uh, led the Pac-12 with 12 and a half sacks this year. They had uh, Kalen Bullock have five interceptions. They they were able to put up some good numbers, but they were giving up a lot of points on a weekly basis. And that's something that USC is just going to need to improve upon if they plan on, you know, actually competing for national championships. They've only got one more year in the Pac-12 before they head over to the Big Ten and that's going to be a whole world of hurt and a humbling opportunity to go up against Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State and some of the other teams that are more complete yeah, than they're not what gonna play them that often. They're going to be playing Iowa. Are they, yeah. <laughs> they'll still they'll need to adjust for sure though for what they're going to be facing because in their two losses to Utah, they gave up 90 points, and you can't give up that many points and expect to win very many games, So, especially when the competition gets better. So USC's got to improve defensively. Offense, I have little to no questions. The only questions I'll have are who's coming back next year. And regardless of who will and won't be there, I expect they're going to be able to put up points. Defensively, they just got to buckle down a little bit more but I do really like their defensive coordinator whose name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, uh, Alex Grinch. I really like Alex Grinch and I think that he's going to be able to get them back on track sooner rather than later. Next category I have here is the one glaring weakness and or strength of your team. We call that the Iowa offense defense corollary. I have, <laughs> I have written down there. I have that Caleb Williams. That's your glaring strength of your team. Uh, yeah, 47 you, touchdowns. How you did compare to your rival, getting Lincoln Riley, US, UCLA had a little bit of momentum. It's a program that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Had a lot of momentum. Well, not a lot of momentum, but was kind of had a really slow build under Chip Kelly. And basically a lot of the oh, momentum now is kind of in the shadow of what USC is doing. End of season program vibes. I have them trending up. Any last notes you have here on USC? Not really that we haven't gone over already. So again, my my only real question is just going to be who's going to be back next year because so many guys came through the senior 
or not the senior, uh, the, the transfer portal, you have a lot of grad seniors like Travis Dye who are going to be gone, but overall, like there, there's a lot of reason for these guys to stay. There's also a lot of reason to declare for the draft because you've had good seasons. So regardless though, they're going to maintain the continuity at quarterback with Caleb Williams. And that's the only thing that matters when moving forward and competing. Let's transition to the team that ended up beating USC two times this year, Utah. Utah came into the season Pac-12 champions or reigning Pac-12 champions. They had a close loss to USC in the Rose Bowl. They're over under win total heading into this year. Nine. How many wins did they have? Nine. Kind of weird to win the Pac-12 and you still don't hit your over under. But I think Utah have used itself now after being with Kyle Whittingham in the Pac-12 for like how long they've been there? 13, 14 years now? They have to view themselves as a top-tier program now, right? Oh, they definitely do. Yeah, USC is definitely one of like the top classes when it comes to talking about the best teams in the Pac-12. With Kyle Whittingham being the head coach there, I expect that team to compete for the Pac-12 every single year. And whether that's a nine-win season or a 12-win season, this is definitely a team that you can anticipate will be incredibly competitive on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, Whittingham's got them in a terrific position right now. There's no reason to believe that they're ever going to revert while he's there because he's adjusting as things are going as well. Utah has won the last two Pac-12 championship games. They've played in four of the last five, the one exception being the 2020 year, which the more and more I was doing this, there's just so many outliers from that 2020 season. There's so many. I have panic meter state of the program one, hot seat one, one out of five. Yep. I gave them an A as a grade, even though the fact that you basically didn't hit your over-under, I feel like that was kind of a little bit of a detriment, but I still gave them A because if they beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl, it'll be probably the best season ever in Utah history other than the two undefeated seasons when they were in the Mountain West. I would agree with you on that. Yeah, they're they're definitely sight set on winning the Rose Bowl this year. This will be one of the last years that the Rose Bowl is still truly a Big Ten champion versus a Pac-12 champion before it becomes a full-time playoff game. So you know that they would love to be able to squeeze that in, especially considering they've been in the Pac-12 for as, as short a time frame as they have been. But when you, when you win the Pac-12 in back-to-back years, you, you have to be pretty excited. I also gave them an A. I also have them as a one for both the coaching hot seat and for the panic button for the team. They've got to be very happy about where they're at right now. Things they did well. Top 10 scoring offense. Cameron Rising. If you go back to last year with Utah, they were really struggling at the beginning of the year. I believe they lost to BYU and San Diego State. And then come in comes in Cam Rising and the offense is just lighting up teams. And Utah just starts winning a whole bunch of games. I was kind of looking at what they need to improve. And this is actually more of a glaring category than I thought. And you might say, well, they're Utah. They just won two back-to-back Pac-12 championships. They're playing in the Rose Bowl for the second consecutive year. But I think 
when you look at the landscape of the Pac-12 and how other teams are in the Pac-12 and you have a lot of, you know, coaches that are still trying to get their feet wet. I think Utah needs to have the mindset where they can take the next step and be the Pac-12 team that represents them in the playoff. Now that's going to become easier in a 12-team playoff, obviously. They would have made it a few times already. Right. But, I mean, you look at their losses this year. They lost to teams that they're better than. They lost to Florida, which that's tough playing in the South in August or early September. They lost to UCLA. UCLA kind of handed it to them. Um, that was a game. I mean, all their losses were on the road. If Actually, if you look at a a thing with a lot of these Pac-12 teams, a lot of them are really good at home. We'll be talking about Oregon State with that later. Um, but I think that's the, the next step with Utah is them just beating the teams that they should beat and being a little bit more consistent because – they probably can be a playoff team, and I think they could actually compete if they got in to a four-team playoff. I would agree, and I, I think this is a team that I was upset didn't make the playoffs last year. I thought this was a very, very good team, and they lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball, most sure. notably Devin Lloyd. But Here, I'll, got... I'll interrupt you here for a second. Their losses yeah. last year were at BYU, at San Diego State, and at Oregon State. Those were their yes. three losses last year, other than the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. They were a really good team last year and they dominated their Pac-12 competition last year. Uh, this year, they they did take a little bit of a step backwards because they lost so much on the defensive side of the ball. But Lander Barton wins the Pac-12 defensive freshman of the year and they have plenty of other guys step up as well, uh, is, including uh, Clark Phillips at corner, who I believe led the Pac-12 in interceptions with six. I don't know if he's back, but... Regardless, they they were able to overcome quite a bit of roster turnover this year. They also had to deal with the loss of Brent Keithy early in the season due to injury, and Dalton Kincaid stepped up and was, in my opinion, snubbed of at least being a finalist for the John Mackey Award at the tight end position. So they did a lot of good things this year, considering they lost a lot. And all of the uh, stuff that was going on with Tavion Thomas as well, just muddled up the situation more, but they still they still ran for 37 touchdowns this year. Incredible. They I have how did they do compared to their rival BYU? They're better than BYU, but who knows how BYU joining the Big 12 is going to change things. Maybe it won't, maybe it will. I have them as a program right now trending up. Any last thoughts on Utah before we head over to uh another team? If they're not already they will be the face of the Pac-12 here within the next couple of years, especially with USC and probably UCLA leaving, depending on how that situation goes with the Colorado governor, or not Colorado, uh, California governor and everything kind of stepping in. But Utah is definitely on their way, if if they're not already, to being the face of the Pac-12 right now. Well said. UCLA, over-under win total, before the season, eight and a half. UCLA won nine games. They went over. How does UCLA view itself in the landscape of the conference? I did an inter one of my early interviews. I did it with a person that does a UCLA podcast, and they view themselves highly. They view themselves, for better or worse, as a top-tier Pac-12 program, if not a second-tier Pac-12 program. I Basically, when I did my tiers of programs, 
I did top tier, second tier, and then I did a mid tier because no one's going to say they're a bottom tier program. So those are my kind of three tiers with most of this stuff. Um, ideally, they would like to be where Utah kind of is, I think, where they're not necessarily competing for national championships, but they do think that they should be competing regularly for Pac-12 championships. Yeah, I think that's more than fair to say is that they should be competing for the Pac-12 year in and year out. There's there's reason to believe they could eventually get to that point where they could start competing for a playoff appearance, especially with it expanding to 12 teams. There was more than a couple instances this year where they were ranked high enough to end up being in the in the playoff had it been 12 teams. But they definitely have a few bumps in the road that they've got to get over but overall this this is a high scoring offensive team dorian thompson robinson saved the best for last in his final year with the program and zach charbonnet for my money's worth is one of the best running backs in the entire country although i can absolutely admit that there is a little bit of pac-12 bias when it comes to talking about zach charbonnet they they basically did whatever they wanted to do offensively and defensively, they were also a pretty stout team, all things considered. Not the best team in the world, but Laati Latu had nine and a half sacks this year and was an absolute stud for them. They were able to do quite a bit this year, just unfortunately probably in that second tier like you talked about, slightly below the Utahs and the USC's and the Oregon's of the Pac-12. I was planning on uh, – I meant to DM you this, but – I didn't. So if I gave them like a B or B plus for their grade, they met expectations, but they did lose close games to Arizona and USC. Do you know how the tiebreakers in the Pac-12 go for championship games? Because I have no idea. I was looking at it. I mean, I didn't try and research it or anything, but I was looking at it. I'm like, if USC beats Arizona, are they in the, is it like a rematch with USC in the, Pac-12 title game? Like, I, I had no idea. I'm honestly not 100% sure. I know that they really, really value the conference record and head-to-head more than anything else, but I'm not sure how they're able to differentiate certain tie-breaking situ- uh, scenarios. Because if they would have beat Arizona, they would have been in a four-way tie for second place with Washington, Utah, and Oregon. Right. And uh, which they, they beat some of those teams, right? I believe uh, so. I have their schedule right in front of me. They beat Utah. They uh, beat Utah. They lost to Oregon. They beat Washington. And they beat Washington. Yeah. I, I don't know what that would have done. But again, I gave them a B plus because of that. Because again, this program does view itself kind of highly. And I do think, what did you have for the panic meter in the hot seat? I didn't have anything written down for the panic meter. I just have three question marks here. But for the hot seat, I put like a two. Because I have that as kind of like a lukewarm. Um, like, what did you have for both of those? I said Kelly has a cool seat because he is coming off a pretty good season with them. And he's been there five seasons now. And they've had pretty good success with him. Depending on how the program itself sees itself. Because obviously the fans are going to believe that they're one of the top tier programs in the Pac-12. And hopefully we'll want to continue that once they move over to the big 10. But at the same time, is Chip Kelly doing enough to truly, truly encapsulate the, the, 
the thought that you are one of the best teams in the Pac-12. You're one of like the top four to five teams, but are you ever going to be the best team in the Pac-12 with him? It's probably the question they need to start asking themselves. And while I think his seat isn't on fire, it definitely needs to be a little, a little, like you said, lukewarm. I think that's more than fair to say because UCLA is going to want to be better than an eight to nine win team every year. They're want they're going to want to be that 10 to 11, maybe even 12 win team and get to the Pac-12 championship game. And is Chip Kelly the guy to do that is a question you need to start asking yourself heading into year six. You picked up the baton there. I've been having a sore throat the last few days and like by, by mouth just like became completely dry there and words <laughs> out. The reason I brought up the hot seat here is because I saw sometimes you just when you're doing this stuff after a while, you just like Google um like a coach or a program and you just click on news. I Googled Chip Kelly and I found an LA Times article with the title after the USC loss. UCLA's loss to USC does not bode well for Chip Kelly's future, which kind of sounds crazy, but that's why I put it at the hot seat ranking one to five is like a two to a three, which he's not like going to get fired. But I mean, if if things did kind of go wrong next year and he goes four and eight, we might see some changes. Oh, definitely. A hundred percent. If, if the, if the wagon starts to really come off, then you can definitely anticipate changes. Even if they repeat what they did this year, next year, if they have another nine and three season, Again, you just you have to start a conversation of is Kelly going to be good enough to get us over the hump that we believe we're good enough to be like, are are you good with settling for eight, nine win seasons? Or do you believe you can be that double digit win season, that Pac-12 champion, that playoff contending kind of team? And it's just it's an it's an internal question that you're going to have to start having UCLA. uh, Did this season two, nine and three this year with a fifth year starter at QB. Not fifth-year senior, fifth-year starter. This was DTR's fifth-year starting for UCLA. I put things they did well, uh, DTR and Zach Charbonnet, which you mentioned earlier. They did beat Washington and Oregon to nine or a 10-win team and a 9-win team. I think that's pretty impressive. Things that need improvement, defense. They need to defend a little better. They get into a lot of shootouts, which that's going to be kind of a reoccurring theme with a lot of these Pac-12 teams is the offenses are pretty good, but the defenses need a little bit more improvement. Um, couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. End of the season program vibes. I have them staying the same, if not going down more because of the UCLA uh, or the USC shadow that's being kind of cast upon them. And I don't know how they're going to replace DTR. Is it going to be a young guy that's coming in? Is it going to be a transfer portal? That's going to be kind of a a lot of wait to see there with UCLA. Any last thoughts on UCLA before we move on? No, I think we touched on it pretty well. So, again, I think the biggest storyline for them heading in the next year is, is Chip Kelly the guy to get us over the hump to the Pac-12 championship and to the playoff? All right, let's talk about your team. Arizona State. Wasn't a pretty year for them. Over under win total to start the season, six and a half. They went under by three and a half games, won three games this year. 
How does Arizona State view itself in the landscape of the Pac-12? I had them as used itself as a second-tier program, which is kind of like if we're in a 12-team uh, conference, that's kind of like that four to six range. Where, where does Arizona State view itself as a football program? They definitely see themselves as a second-tier program, and hopefully they, they've had instances where they have competed for the Pac-12 entirely. So the expectation is to eventually get back to that point. But right now, Arizona State just wants to be that six, seven, eight win team that's going to bowl games regularly, competing and making noise. They're, they're definitely not expectations of winning national championships. Obviously, they'd love to do that, but that's not where they're at right now. Rather, they're just focused on being a competitive football program year in and year out. That was not the case this year. Obviously, you go three and nine. You lose to your your in-state rival, and there are just several games this year that were maddeningly frustrating because you should have been a lot better than you actually were. But at the same time, the chips were certainly stacked against you this season in more ways than one. Panic meter, state of the program, I had a 6 out of 10. Um, I would tell you that during the season, it was going to be probably an eight or a nine with the hiring of Dillingham. It's probably down to a two or a three. The, the hiring of Kenny Dillingham has really just shed a whole new light on the program. And everybody ha- is more optimistic than I can ever remember for Arizona state Sun Devils football. This is more than when Todd Graham was hired more than when, uh, Herm Edwards was hired and certainly higher expectations than when Dennis Erickson was here. This feels like the brightest the program has looked since back in the dirt cutter days in the uh, mid 2000s. So the, the, the meter is pointing up for the team. The, the panic meter is going down because of the hire. If anyone else besides Dillingham was hired, it'd still probably be a five or a six, but everyone is calming down and is actually pretty excited about what's to come. I feel like that's my problem with the the panic meter when we're doing it this time of year, because I feel like it's like it's like an oven or like a stove burner where it's like you have it on high during the season. But then when the season's over, you basically shut it off and it's just kind of cooling down now. So like you said, probably during the season, it was an eight or a nine. And now it's like a I don't know. I still have it as a six, because, again, if this hire doesn't work, then you're just kind of you're putting yourself down lower on the totem pole of the pack 10 soon enough, or is it going to be pack 11? Not sure it's going to happen there. Grades based on expectations of a season and program as a whole. I didn't say this earlier, but if a coach is fired, my rule, my grading system, my podcast, F. If you fire a coach, head coach, I should preface that, you get an F. Uh, Do you have any uh, last words for Herm Edwards? Anything you want him to hear? Anything I want Herm to hear? Um, I don't think so. I, I think I, I've said my piece on Herm Edwards at this point in time. I'm excited for the next era of Arizona State Sun Devils football, but certainly agree with you. You fired coach, you get an F. Arizona State got an F for me this year. Things they did well. I put X Valade had 18 touchdowns from scrimmage. Yes, he going. did. You had that going for you. Uh, needs improvement or weaknesses, everything. Think that's fair to say? Yes. Uh, how are you doing compared to your rival? ASU trending down a little bit now. Arizona yes. 
trending up. End of the season program vibes. Any last thoughts here on Arizona State before we move to uh, a team in the mountains? ASU fans has a, have a lot to be excited about right now with Dillingham coming in. He's making a lot of moves, and I think that this team is going to be back to that six to seven, maybe even eight win program a lot sooner than later. And I would not be surprised if Dillingham was able to get some really, really good years out of the, out of some of the Sun Devils uh, stars next year. Uh, Jalen Conyers was a really, really good tight end breakout. Elijah Badger was a really, really good wide receiver breakout. I anticipate both of them having their best seasons next year regardless of who's a quarterback, because I think that the offense is just going to be set up so perfectly for them. Whatever happens with the run game, I'm not sure. And then the quarterback situation is a question mark. But the good news is you do have some weapons here for whoever is throwing the rock. Defensively, do your best and hope the offense can score 50. Colorado. Resistant expectations combined with realistic program expectations. Over-under win total. Three and a half wins, actual wins. They went under and won one game. Fun for Colorado. How does it view itself in the landscape of the conference? I have no idea. I I, I don't know because Colorado has this weird history where they were like they have a claimed national title like a, in like 1990 with like seven other teams or whatever. It was more like three, but I have no idea where it views itself uh, as a program. Panic meter, again, this is kind of like the stove turning off and cooling down. It was probably during the season like a scorching 10. And now it's maybe like after the Deion Sanders hire, maybe like a five. I think that's fair. Is this this program was definitely just the definition of a dumpster fire. There was little to no good things you could say about the program uh, while I have his name right in front of me. Carl Durrell was there. Like there, there was just no signs of hope for the team. They definitely felt like the very definition of a bottom feeder power five pack 12 team. And with the hiring of Deion Sanders, there's certainly a lot of hope, but there's, there's gotta be questions though. Is Deion Sanders a flash in the pan? He had one season at Jackson state. And while he was wildly successful, is it going to translate to power five football? He is bringing in a lot of transfers, though. Dion has gone on record as saying the number one recruit from last year is going to be transferring to Colorado, and that would be a really good get for them, obviously. But this is this is a roster that needs a major, major makeover, and it's going to be difficult for anyone to do it, let alone Dion Sanders. So I think it's still fair to give them probably a five for the panic meter, but the good news is Dion Sanders has – plenty of time to adjust and accommodate to the the play difference between Jackson State football and Colorado football from like 85 till 2005 they were basically going to bowls every single year they missed it like maybe three or four times um finished in the AP poll once 1990 like I said earlier they've only made two bowl games since they joined the Pac-12 both the Alamo Bowl, oddly enough, and one of them, again, we talk about outliers from that 2020 season. Colorado played in the Alamo Bowl and got boat raced by Texas that year. Uh, RIP Tom Herman, even though he's back now, I think. 
I yeah, have with FAU, I believe. Yeah. I have grade based on expectation expectations and program as a whole. As we said with Arizona State, you fire your head coach, you get an F. Things they did well. They hired Deion Sanders. I'm more optimistic about it because I think if there's one thing, people are just gonna want to come there. And whether or not he turns them into a juggernaut, it's probably going to be more of a launching pad for him where he's going to be there four or five years. And then if somebody in the SEC comes and offers him $12 million a year or something, he's going to jump at that. Right. Um, so they're going to get, they're at least going to have a talent upgrade depending how, where that goes. It remains to be seen uh, needs improvement or weaknesses. Everything I wrote down, they need a makeover. End of the season program vibes because they hired Dion. It's going up. Uh, do you have any last thoughts on Colorado? Be excited about the future, but also know that this is this is a renovation project that is not going to be instant success. But you're hoping this could be kind of like a Jed Fish situation at Arizona, where you know your first year really does stink, but the next year you make a much bigger jump and improvement than anyone was anticipating. So be excited about the future, Colorado. There actually is plenty of optimism here for you. Speaking of Jed Fish, let's talk about Arizona now. Preseason expectations. They had an over-under win total of two and a half. They doubled that. They went over, won five games. How does Arizona view itself in the landscape of its conference? I said view themselves as like a mid-tier to like a second tier program. I again that was one I wasn't necessarily sure. I put panic meter. Excuse me. Panic meter I had them at a 1. 2022 Arizona recruiting class was third in the Pac-12 behind Oregon and Stanford. Right now it's 6th for this year. Uh I didn't have a hot seat, but I had that was probably like a 1 or a 2. Uh at some point Jed Fish is going to have to start, you know, winning games and you know, going to bowl games. Uh, how, how did you view Arizona this year as, you know, a rival looking from across the state? I can give you a completely unbiased opinion here and tell you that this was a wildly successful season for Arizona. They, again, they, they had bare minimum expectations this year, blew it out of the water. They were one game away from being in a bowl game this year. And that's not something anybody saw coming. Not the kids down at U of A, not not any of the most diehard Wildcat fans in the world would have believed that they would have this massive jump from a one-win program that was quite lucky to get that win against Cal in 2021 to just shy of a bowl game this year. And the they just have to be excited with everything that they have because Jaden Delora is looking like a potentially great Pac-12 quarterback who was one of the best passers in the nation this year. Uh, yeah, he throws a lot of interceptions, but he also scores a lot of touchdowns. And they've got weapons galore, even though Dorian Singer is currently in the transfer portal. Jacob Cowing is back, and uh, T. McMillan is also back for them as well. They've got weapons on offense. Defensively, I don't, I don't know how you can be much worse than what they were. So definitely – got to get better on the defensive side of the ball but when you're when you're scoring 30 plus points a game you're going to feel pretty good about your opportunity more often than not to get a w in that column kind of like what you said they're we're kind of like a mediocre version of some of the other uh pac-12 schools because they had like a 
above average offense, but then again, kind of like a Sonny Dykes at Cal defense. We'll talk about that towards the end of the podcast. They beat UCLA this year, like we mentioned earlier, maybe cost UCLA a chance at winning the Pac-12. Again, who knows how the tiebreaker works in this conference. I gave them like a B plus to an A minus as a grade because they exceeded expectations, but you still didn't make a bowl. So that's kind of where I came up with a B plus, A minus, kind of in that range. Um, Again, things they did well, number nine UCLA on the road, found their quarterback, as you just said. Again, glaring one glaring weakness and or strength of your team, a.k.a. the Iowa offense-defense corollary. Horrible defense, 126 out of 131 for opponents' uh, points per game. I have them ending the season trending up. If they can hit on some of these young recruits and make some improvements on defense heading into next year, we could be looking at like a 7-8 team win, uh, 7-8, a win team next year don't you think 100 percent. as much as it pains me to say it yes they are they are 100 percent trending in the right direction the expectation next year has to be bowl game all right let's go to the pac-12 i don't know if i mentioned that at the beginning we started with the pac-12 south when they had divisions now we're going to the pac-12 north washington they're a team that does not like that the they didn't get rid of division sinks because they could have been competing for a Pac-12 title this year. They're over under win total heading into the season seven and a half. I was a little pessimistic that they would go over that, but they ended up going over. Ten wins for Kalen DeBoer in his inaugural season as Washington head coach. They were predicted to be fifth in the Pac-12, ended up being in a four-way tie for second. Uh, I said that this team views itself as a top-tier Pac-12 program. Panic meter for the state of the program. I think probably heading into the season, it was more like a 5 6 range because the Jimmy Lake situation was really, really bad. It was in a really bad state. So I have them as a 1 now because they won 10 games. Um, again, they well, I have this coming up in a later category. Uh, for the one glaring weakness is they lost at your team, Arizona state. Um, How do you view Washington as a whole this year in the conference? This was a terrific season for Washington. Kalen DeBoer's first year coaching for the program could not have gone any better. Michael Penix finds a way to stay healthy and ends up being one of the top passers in the nation. Statistically, they have 2000 yard receivers they have a really solid run game, and the offense doesn't have any issues putting points up on the board. They have to be incredibly happy with the way the team performed this year. Defensively, as we talked about earlier, this has been the case more often than not, is they need to improve. But typically, Washington has itself a pretty pretty good defense, and I would anticipate that they're only going to get better, especially if Braylon Trice does end up coming back uh, he is a redshirt sophomore for them. He had eight sacks this year. There's there's potential for them to continue to improve, and I don't see any reason why Washington can't be considered one of the best teams in the Pac-12 moving forward, not just for this season. I don't think they're a one-year wonder. I think this is a really, really good roster. A lot of people will probably think I'm being a little harsh with this grade here, uh, grade based on expectations of season and program as a whole. I have them as an A- to B+. Again, you did 
you lost to two teams that you were better than. And in that uh, UCLA loss, UCLA just kind of like they beat them. It wasn't like a like a close like UCLA just beat them. And then you lose to Arizona State as kind of a hangover loss the next week. So that's kind of where I get my judgment of going an A minus to B plus. What grade did you have? I gave them an A plus because they were coming off a four and eight season. And I don't know that the expectations for them were to even sniff a 10 win season. And like you said, if, if divisions were still a thing, they would have been going to the Pac-12 championship game. So I, I really, I think they exceeded expectations by a mile and a half and I give them, I think that's my only A plus. I have a slew of A's here. But I am giving Washington an A plus because I thought that their season was just terrific. I had things they did well. Michael Penix Jr. a balanced offense because they did have a lot of rushing touchdowns. Uh, they they somehow kept Michael Penix Jr.'s ACLs from tearing for like the twentieth time in his life. Uh, I said the one glaring weakness earlier: the lost Arizona State. Obviously, this program's trending up to end this season. I think we said enough about Washington. Um, heading over to another Pac-12 North power, we have Oregon, also in their first season with a first-year head coach. Their over-under win total was 8.5. They went over. They are predicted to be about third or fourth in the Pac-12. That's about where they finished. They view it themselves as a top-tier Pac-12 program. I had panic meter for the state of the program. I had like a soft two. Uh, I, I just feel like there is this kind of prevailing fear, I guess, that uh, I've talked, I think I've talked about this with you before. When we look at the Pac 12 from a national perspective, people think that like Oregon's won like 11 out of the last 12 Pac 12 titles, but that's just simply not true. They had this really good stretch with Chip Kelly. And then after that, it's kind of been like up and down to a degree, it's been mostly up. Uh, in fairness to Oregon, but that's kind of why I had it at a two. I think there's just going to be this prevailing fear that they might not ever get back to where they were at the height of the Chip Kelly era. They are one of those teams that it feels like they're writing off of that past success that Kelly had and the brief success that Mark Helfrench had for them as well. Dan Lanning has definitely got them trending back in the right direction. They started off the year with that calling it an embarrassing loss to Georgia would be an understatement. But then they battled off eight consecutive wins. It was such a bad loss that they uh, – oh, wait, I'm still on Washington here on my computer. It was such an embarrassing loss. They went from, like, uh, I believe they were – okay, I have it here. They were number 11 in the preseason poll. It was such an embarrassing loss. They dropped out of the top 25. That's how Completely. bad of a loss it was. Yep. And then they scratch and clawed their way to eight consecutive wins before losing two of their final three games, including the Oregon State game, which I know a lot of Ducks fans are going to have haunt them for a long time because they win that game. They go to the championship game and have a chance against USC. But I'd be happy about the way they're trending. The one thing that I'm curious about, and this is definitely me with my tinfoil hat on at the moment, is... Bo Nix is gone. Dante Dante Moore is coming in. Yeah. Five-star quarterback, number two in the nation. I but he was recruited so. by Kenny Dillingham. And 
those two are like this. Ooh, I like they it. are best friends. And I'm not I'm not saying this biased as an ASU fan. I'm not saying this to stir the pot, but he realistically went to Oregon because of Dillingham, who's no longer there. I'm also not saying he goes to ASU because Dillingham's there, but he could decide to go elsewhere. And if Dante Moore doesn't go to Oregon, I have questions about their future. But if he does, which right now he hasn't decommitted or anything, they should be in good hands moving forward. Dan Lanning can definitely coach that team. They've got some good defensive talent. And I don't, I don't see a reason they can't continue to be the top three team in the Pac-12 that they have been for the last several years. If Dante Morris sense of transferring or decommitting and going to uh, ASU, that, that panic meter is going to go up a few notches. I would I gave, be insufferable as an ASU fan. I gave them a B to B plus this year because, again, they, they finished right where they were supposed to, according to, like, the preseason expectations. So I gave them a B plus. Uh, they lost to Oregon State, Georgia, Washington. Things they did well. You mentioned earlier, Bo Nix had an awesome season. Uh, found, seems like they hit on their head coach to a degree. Um, okay. I thought I had these more often. I guess I have them for the North, not the South. Trivia question. Bo Nix rushed for 14 touchdowns this season of Oregon. How many did he rush in his previous three seasons at Auburn? Like combined. Off the top of my head, I feel like he's got to be right at 14. 18. 18. So a little more than that. Man, that's crazy. 14 rushing touchdowns is a lot. That's a lot for a running back, let alone a quarterback. I I don't know if I couldn't find one. I guess their defense could get better uh, for needs improvement or weaknesses. Um, I talked about earlier, can they recapture the magic of the Chip Kelly area and their one glaring weakness? Uh, I've ended the season program vibes going up and uh, they have a five-star quarterback coming in next year. But according to you, there might be, don't be surprised if he ends up leaving to go follow. Like I said, total tinfoil hat thing. It, it would, it would be a surprise if he decommitted, but it would make sense considering the whole reason he went there. Like 90% of the reason he went to Oregon is because of Kenny Dillingham. Let's transition to the team that played spoiler to Oregon at the end of this year, Oregon state. One of my favorite PAC 12 teams to watch just because sometimes betting on them is really fun. Preseason expectations over under win total was six and a half. They're kind of finished. Uh, predicted to be let me do some math here real fast that kind of puts them in one two three four kind of that five six range to finish in the pack 12 uh i put use themselves and they i obviously went over on the win total they won nine games this year i said they view themselves as like a mid-tier program i don't think oregon state thinks they're going to be competing for titles regularly um like if they're kind of in that seven to nine win range, I guess maybe they view themselves as second tier at that point. Um, this season is probably one of their best case scenarios on how it finishes. They they win every home game uh, this year. And I actually have a trivia question on that, I think. I'll, I'll tell you that trivia question here in a little bit. I guess I'm kind of spoiling it. But how did you view Air, or, uh, Oregon State just as a whole this year? Wildly successful. 
the direction that Jonathan Smith has them going in should be incredibly exciting. Oregon State has gone from arguably the seller team of the Pac-12 to one of the more underrated teams. They're in that tier two now, where before they seriously were like 12 out of 12 in the Pac-12. And they have a chance for a 10-win season. I can't remember the last time Oregon State won 10 games in a year. They do a lot of really good things with solid talent. If you gave them some some higher upside guys, like if they had better quarterback play than what they got from Ben Goldbrinson and Chance Nolan this year, who knows how good this team could have been because the defense, unlike majority of the Pac-12, was terrific. They had arguably the best defense. They put them up there with Wazoo this year in terms of what they were able to accomplish. That home field advantage is insane. Going to Corvallis is historically tough for ASU. Like they, for whatever reason, ASU goes to Corvallis, they lose every single time. I don't know why, but that was the case for literally everyone this year. You went to Corvallis, you lost the game. That is a incredibly difficult place to play. The Beaver fans need to pride themselves on the home field advantage that they've created for, for themselves up there. And the, they, they are trending so high up right now. I'm not ready to say they're contending for the Pac-12, but I am ready to say that they're going to play spoiler a lot more often than not for some of the teams that are competing for the championship. An example, Oregon. I think it's fair to say they had an A this year. Yes. That's their grade. They're undefeated yes. at home, as you mentioned. Fun fact, it wasn't a trivia question. It was a fun fact I had. Oregon State has not lost a home game since 2020. They went That's undefeated. not surprising. They went undefeated last year, too. Again, 2020, one of those outlier years for a lot of reasons. I put needs improvement or weaknesses. They need more balanced offense. They had three, 33 rushing touchdowns compared to 15 passing touchdowns. It's 2022. Yeah. You had a good offense that I think your leading quarterback won, uh, threw eight touchdowns. Also... Wasn't Jonathan Smith the head coach of Oregon State for people that don't know? Uh, wasn't he a former quarterback? Right? I'm not 100% on that. But I do know that their their passing offense needs to be a lot better. Because if you get into those situations where it's a shootout, now I don't know how much faith I have in Oregon State. It's kind of They need better quarterback play. And it's not that like it's there's this kind of like this flaw with them. They did have Jake Luton in 2019 throw 28 touchdowns compared to three picks. So somewhere in it's the same coaching staff, basically, uh, at least at the head coach. I'm not sure what the coordinator situation has been like, but they, they can do that. They just need to improve that, whether they utilize that through their development system or transfer portal. They do need to get better at that. Uh, how'd they do compared to the rival? They've beaten Oregon State has beaten Oregon two out of the last three times. I have them trending up as end of the season program vibes. You have any uh, last notes on Oregon State? Like I said, get excited if you're a Beaver fan and pat yourself on the back for creating legitimately one of college football's toughest environments to go and play at. They they need to be very very excited about the direction their program is going in right now. I know if I was a Beavers fan, I would be talking a lot. Let's see here. Uh, he was a quarterback. He was a quarterback at Oregon State. He's obviously coaching his alma mater. 
from 98 to 01. Yeah, he was a quarterback. Moving on, Washington State. This is kind of a... I don't necessarily know where to go with this program here. They're kind of a, a weird program for a lot of different reasons. Their over-under win total heading in the year was five and a half. They did go over. They won seven games. They view themselves as a mid-tier Pac-12 program. I have panic meter for the state of the program and hot seat, both ones, which is kind of a reoccurring theme here, which is why we haven't talked about it as much. What what would your what was your grade for them uh for Washington State this year? I gave them a B. And the reason I gave them That's a B I had I had a B plus to B. Mm-hmm. The reason why is uh, Jake uh, Dicker, I think that's how you pronounce it, was the interim coach for them last year, ends up becoming the full-time head coach for them this year. And they were a competitive team that should have been better than what they were because they hit a losing streak and just skid for three games where at one point in time, they were one of, if not the top team in the Pac-12. So they could have been better than what they were this year. I feel like sometimes Washington State was just a team that was beating itself, but they've got a lot to be excited about. Cameron Ward is getting NFL draft hype as a redshirt sophomore. He still has two more years to stay at Wazoo and continue to get better, and yet I've seen people put him in the first round. He's a great passer for them, and they've got weapons on offense, but more importantly, like I alluded to talking about Oregon State, that defense is sick, nasty. They've got so many good players that are contributing for them and will hopefully continue to do so. The question is, though, is how will they move forward now that Brian Ward is gone because they're, he was their defensive coordinator and he is now the same uh, – the, the, he, he's the same position down for Arizona State as – the Sun Devils' new defensive coordinator. So I'm curious how they'll adapt losing oh, Brian Ward, but that's a that's a really really good defense and a team that is able to put up some points. So I I like the direction they're at. I feel like they should have been better than seven and five. It's really interesting the way their program has been the last few years because I said they're a mid tier program because. They just really weren't doing that much before Mike Leach came. Right. And then Mike they Leach. They were a bottom feeder. Yeah. And then Mike Leach comes, kind of like changes the temperature of the team, gets them to a lot of bowl games. They end up going 11 and 2 one year with an Alamo win over my Iowa State Cyclones, uh, Brock Purdy's first year, Dave Montgomery's last year. And it's also really weird, too, because you think that, like, Mike Leach leaves, and then, oh, if they're going to be successful, basically the heir apparent to Mike Leach kind of just keeps what he was doing right uh, and keeps doing that, and they keep having these like awesome offenses over and over and over again. But the identity team has completely flipped. They're a defensive football team now. Yeah, they are. They're kind of in the mold of like maybe a baby Utah, where they're more of a de- – I mean, Utah was an awesome offense this year, so it's not maybe the best comparison. But – they, I think they had like either the second or third best defense in the conference this year. And that's what I have here is things that they did well. Uh, they had one of the better defenses in the conference, things they need to improve on the offense. Kind of like what you said, they might've lot cost them a few wins this year. Uh, 
like I, I have it right in front of me. They lost like a few games where they didn't even score over 20. And again, this is the Pac-12 conference that we're talking about. So I, I do think they did leave some wins on the board, oddly enough, for a team that wasn't predicted to do that much this year. I would agree. It, it's like you said, they flip the script. They go from this offensive powerhouse under Mike Leach to a more defensive dominant team with Jake uh, Dicker. And it's it's now going to be a matter of finding a good balance between both because if this is a team that can score 23 to 25 points a game, you feel confident you can win more often than not with the way the defense was playing. So you just got to be able to get the offense back up to speed. If they can get to where Utah is at, you're talking about a conference contender right now. So they've just got to find an offensive identity, commit to it, and continue to build up the strengths that they have defensively. End of the season program vibes. I have them trending up. Again, they have been able to stay semi-relevant in the Pac-12 landscape of things, even after Mike Leach leaves, even after uh, a coach, the head coach last year who had the program going in the right direction had to get fired and a few assistants too because they didn't get vaccinated. And to go through all of that stuff, to have a coach leave for a better job, to have a coach fired kind of in disgrace, to have the program still being seven and five and going to a bowl. And again, we even said that like they probably could have won a little more this year than they actually did. I have this program trending up. 100% agree. This is this is a program on the rise. I would not be surprised if they took a step forward next year and were competing for that nine, maybe even 10 win season. I think we have two teams left. We have Cal and Stanford. We're almost an hour in, I think. So we're, we're we are on pace to be a little bit over an hour. Uh, I originally sent you an email with the notes that like, Hey, we won't do much on Cal Stanford. I, I don't have much stuff to talk about them with yada, 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 boring. Uh, I was completely wrong. They, I was doing the research on them. The whole Sonny Dykes dynamic at Cal kind of makes this a lot more interesting. Cal's over under to start the season was, I didn't have this written down in my notes, five and a half. They obviously went under. Um, I said they view themselves as a mid-tier Pac-12 school. Do you think that's right? Uh, they probably view themselves that way, but they're definitely one of the one of the seller teams right now. And the Sonny Dyke situation is so fascinating because now he's got TCU in the playoff. And Cal, meanwhile, has had marginal success over the last 10 plus years. So they, for better or for worse, or they, they feel like the most forgettable team in the conference right now. That's why I had them as their panic meter. I had them as an eight. Now, it might be more like a six, but Sonny Dykes has been the... I, I read this really interesting Sports Illustrated article. If you just Google Sonny Dykes fired, you'll find the Sports Illustrated article, and it kind of breaks down kind of maybe... It didn't give a definitive answer as to why he was fired at Cal, but it kind of talks about, you know, why he might have been. He has been the head coach at four FBS schools. He's only been fired by one. That was Cal. Right now, he's preparing TCU to play in the that school's very first playoff game. Uh, he was fired after one five and seven season. Justin Wilcox now has two seasons in a row where he is five and seven and four and eight. 
Uh, his hot seat I have is like a three. Do you think that's probably an accurate representation, or do you think it's a little hotter? I think it needs to be pretty, pretty warm. So uh, of all the teams in the conference right now, I feel like he his hot seat is probably the hottest, although that is kind of helped by the fact that you do have a slew of new head coaches. Yeah. And then he was fired. The weird thing with the Sonny Dykes thing, he was uh, in defense of Cal here. He might not have been fired because of what he was doing on the field. Cause he was fired six weeks after the season ended that year. And kind of the idea was that with Dykes, now this is like, now if you go back to those Cal years, it was kind of fascinating to just look at um, them over those years because they that's when they had Jared Goff and they had these awesome offenses, but their defenses were just bottom of the barrel. So that's like they were, they had a game where they won 60 to 59 and that didn't go to overtime. Um, part of the reason he also might have been fired was because he just kept interviewing for other jobs and they kept being uh, fearful that he was going to leave versus Justin Wilcox uh, this year. He could have left and been the he could be the Oregon head coach right now, but he had decided to stay at Cal and showed loyalty. And that's probably why the program's also being loyal to him after two losing seasons and the program trending downwards. I right. have, what do you have for a grade on them this season? I had them as a D. I gave Cal a D as well because I feel like they could have been worse. And it the the Fs that I had were reserved, same to you, for the teams that fired their head coach. But four and eight, and Cal does not have any great wins over the last couple of seasons. And at the same time has lost games that they really had no business losing. This is This is a team that definitely is on the hot seat and needs to get something going because you gave U of A its only win last year and you gave Colorado its only win this year. That's very, very concerning. That's the Pac-12 stat of the day. Things they did well, unsure, not sure. They played some teams close. That's what I had here. Uh, do you have anything that they did well? I don't have much that they did well, my friend. Like you said, uh, Take some solace knowing that you played a couple teams pretty close. Like you kept it close with Washington. You kept it close with USC, but they had some really bad losses, man. Like it's just, it's difficult to have too many great things to say about Cal right now. I had needs improvement or weaknesses. A little improvement is needed everywhere, especially the offense. The offense has been terrible since Sonny Dykes and Jared Goff left. Uh, more Sonny Dykes because they did have a Davis Webb season in there too. My trivia question, how many touchdown passes did Jared Goff throw in his last season at Cal? He was in the 40s. He had a legitimate Heisman campaign that year. That's all I know, though, is he was somewhere in the 40s. 43. He led all Power 5 quarterbacks that year, being five higher than the next closest. He was third overall. It was like Western Kentucky quarterback and somebody else that was higher than him. Which is really kind of weird because when Goff got drafted, I feel like I feel like I thought like he threw like 17 touchdown passes at Cal and he just got drafted because he had a pretty arm and he was tall and had good footwork or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, end of the season program vibes. I have them trending down or lost. Uh, any last thoughts on Cal here? It's always darkest before the dawn. I don't know, man. It, it's. 
it, it is a program that is kind of in the dumps right now. Stanford. Preseason expectations, they were their over under was four and a half wins. They went under four and a half wins. Uh, and I'd said how how does Stanford view itself in the landscape of the conference? I have them that they view themselves as a top tier program just because of the things that they did in the Jim Harbaugh, David Shaw area that combined with, you know, getting you know, marquee players from that program, like Andrew Luck, Christian McCaffrey, and then even they're still recruiting at a high clip. How do you think uh, Stanford views itself? I think they still see themselves as one of the pinnacles and best teams of the Pac-12, and they just simply are not there anymore. Now, they're going to be going through a bit of a transitional phase because David Shaw uh, stepped down as a head coach. I'm really happy that they gave him the opportunity to step down. It would have been a really big bummer if they had fired him, considering all the great things that he did for that program. But Troy Taylor's coming in from Sacramento State, who has had some pretty good success, and it'll be interesting to see if they will be able to maintain their continuity as a good recruiting team because Stanford is so prestigious in their academics that they're not just going to be going after, you know, the big five-star kids who maybe their GPA is like a 2.5. They're not interested in those guys. They want those 4.0 guys. And it'll also be interesting to see how Stanford is going to adjust to this new era of NIL with everything that's going on now, they're a private university. So they'll be able to shell out the money if they're interested in doing that. It'll be, it'll be a very interesting case for Stanford. If they're going to continue to sit on this downslope that they're on right now, or if they're going to shoot right back up to prominence, because this is a program that can very easily get back to 10 wins. And they're also a program that's trending towards 10 losses right now. It feels like a very intense situation. Like there's there's just one extreme or the other for Stanford right now. What did you have them for the panic meter? I had them as a 10 because just I I don't know anything about the new head coach. Uh they still clearly recruited well, but they just kept losing. And they, they haven't made a bowl game since 2000 what i have here 18 and then they had this awesome stretch from when harbaugh kind of really got the ship going in 2009 to when you know david shot uh had the ship going until about 2018 where they're basically ranked every year they had a uh i believe this is a 10 or 11 year yeah it's a 11 year stretch where they were at least okay wait hold on let me back up a second um, they had like a nine year stretch where they were ranked in the preseason top 25. Like that's pretty impressive. They finished fourth one year under Harb in Harbaugh's last season. Then the next three years, they finished in the AP seven, seven and 11 had a year. They went eight and five. Then they finished top three again that year in 2015. Now that was probably more because of like, I believe the playoff was going up and down there. So what what did you have for the panic meter? Just going over all of that stuff and how good this program was to where this program is now, where they're just terrible. That's why I had them at a 10. What do you think? I think that's fair to say is they were definitely in, in really, really hot water because they had just been hitting a really, really bad stretch in the David Shaw era. But the previous success that they had, 
is one of the reasons why they feel and believe, and rightfully so, that they're one of the best teams in the Pac-12. They should be able to rebound quickly. We're going to find out really quick whether or not Troy Taylor is the guy to get them back to prominence because Stanford should be a program that recruits itself. If you're a smart kid, Stanford's already going to be looking at you. So if they're able to couple that with some good NIL deals and whatnot, Stanford should be able to get back to prominence sooner rather than later, but they're a very volatile team. Like I said, that it's one extreme or the other. This could be a 10 win team in the next three years, or they could be a 10 loss team in that same stretch of time. Things they did well, I wrote, they still recruit well. They're still, even though they were bad this year, they were still like second or third in the conference uh, recruiting wise. Needs improvement, develop the talent you recruit and yeah, everything else, McKee. and everything on the field, basically. Um, I had end of the season program vibes neutral. I, I just, I don't know where it's, going because it's obviously been trending down so maybe hopefully i guess maybe the the looking at the glass half full is that this is rock bottom and there's only one way to go and that's up i think that's fair is like like you said you're you're pretty much already at the bottom you, you can't get much worse than what you're already doing you're back to back nine loss seasons so the 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 expectations should be small. The problem is, will they be small? How how patient are they going to be with Troy Taylor for him to get the program back to prominence when you still recruit well and you have all the past success they have? It'll be a very interesting situation to monitor. Any last thoughts on Stanford and the Pac-12 as a whole? I think I've said it as about a as about as well as I can. Like this is this is a volatile team. You can. You can get back to prominence quickly, or you can stay in the cellar for a while. Okay, I think we did it. We did the report cards on all 12 teams. I don't think I missed anybody. I don't think we missed anybody. We went through everything about an hour 10 is what this took us. I'm glad I was worried it might have been like a three-hour podcast at some <laughs> point. <laughs> As we're talking about Dion Sanders theories and, and theories of five-star recruits leaving Oregon to go to Arizona state. Right. Um, Richie, do you want to tell us you did a great job, great job of this podcast. Do you want to tell Thank us you. You view your work and listen to you and uh, we'll get out of here. Yeah, definitely. So I am the host of the locked on Sun Devils podcast. So definitely Arizona state central talk, lots of basketball and football with basketball season going on right now. You can find me on Twitter. You can follow me at Richie Brads with a Z 36. And you can find the podcast as well at LO underscore Sun Devils. We post content five days a week. It's the best Sun Devils content in the whole world. Absolutely right on that. Thanks a lot, Richie. My pleasure. Okay, that's going to do it for the podcast today. Again, thanks to Richie Bradshaw. This was kind of an experiment, if you couldn't tell, uh, doing the podcast like this. I don't know if I'll be able to do all Power 5 conferences, but I do think I will be able to do a few more uh, report cards. I think we did enjoy it. Uh, Richie was great as always. Make sure you go and follow all of his stuff. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. Check out uh, what I'm up to. Follow me on Twitter at JD Major. Follow me on Instagram at JWS Detective for podcast updates. 
And as always, guys, thank you very much, and I will see you next time.